Welcome to the Life & Law Podcast. I'm Heather Mulder, former AmLaw 100 partner turned lawyer coach who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. But I was determined not to become yet another lawyer burnout statistic. And so I redefined success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I now help purpose-driven lawyers confidently retake control of their careers and create their next level of success and impact. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is Heather Mulder, your host. And of course, I'm so excited to have you with me here today. So today we have a special treat. I have another guest today that I want to introduce you to. And today's guest I met through a mutual friend, a lady who recently set out on her own to start her own law firm. And I remember we were talking and she said, you know, I've been working with this wonderful coach who's really helped me. You guys should really meet. And we met and I was like, ah, you've got to come onto the podcast. I just knew it. It's taken us a little while. Our schedules did not sync up very well originally, but I finally got him on. And so I want to introduce you today to Licky Labji. Licky is known as the Blind Spot Navigator, aka your BS Navigator. Hopefully, this has already piqued your interest, y'all. He is the founder and president of the Vancouver, British Columbia based Dante Group. He's an in demand workshop leader and keynote speaker who is passionate about helping leaders break through their personal, unrecognized barriers in order to unleash their full potential. With over 25 years as a CEO of a top IT company, Licky's executive leadership experience provides him with the ability to understand the multi-layers of human behavior and how they impact an organization's growth and productivity. He helps leaders find their blind spots and unleash the opportunities for greatness they have buried beneath them. Licky is the author of the Death by BS book, which has hit number one on Amazon's bestseller list. And you can find out more at LickyLabG.com. I will have a link in the show notes. And before I introduce Licky to you, I just want to point out that today's conversation is really deep, is really important, regardless of whether you're in-house, whether you are working in private practice, whether you're even a lawyer. This is a really important conversation that I think needs to be had more and that you really need to listen to. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So welcome, Licky. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thanks, Heather. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay. So we're just going to jump right in because I have a lot of questions for you. Um, You are known as the blind spot navigator. What are blind spots? Well, most of us, actually, hopefully all of us, check our blind spots when we're walking or driving because we don't want to get into an accident. But for some reason... In life, we're not used to looking at our own blind spots. When's the last time you actually looked in the mirror for more than 30 seconds without doing hair or makeup and just looked at yourself and thought, hmm, I see something that I've never seen before. But in life, other people can see our blind spots right off the bat, our behaviors, our way we, we, the way we act, 
but we just don't see them ourselves until we start looking at them closer and looking for them. And so blind spots are, are they character traits, behavioral things, <laughs> or kind of a combo of all of the above? I would say yes and. It's, it's, it's all of the above. Well, my book is called Death by BS. So it could be the BS that we're holding on to. Ah. It could be uh, limiting beliefs that we're holding on to. I'm just not good enough shows up. And then when you think you're not good enough, all of a sudden, every action you take is trying to prove that you're good enough. So you're actually doing the opposite of what your limiting belief is to overcompensate for it. So they're like the internal narratives that we tell ourselves yeah. that as though they're truths or, you know, the things that hold us back from trying or going after something. And based on that, like that voice that's on the inside of our heads that that's telling us, no, 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 can't do that. <laughs> Um, they are there are our narratives. We can change our narratives whenever we feel like it. But it's a, we have to first find out what our narratives derive from. Right. And that's the blind spot that we haven't seen that we've forgotten. Perfect. We may have a narrative of whatever, but until we find out where it actually came from, it's hard to change narrative. Mm -hmm. You can say I'm going to change my narrative tomorrow. For example, I was a high school dropout, and I used to use that as a crutch. Yeah, I'm a high school dropout, but look at me, I'm successful. That's the way, that, that was my narrative. Now my narrative is, I actually left high school because I couldn't learn there. I want to learn differently. And what I've done in, in the last 35 years is done this instead. Totally different language, totally different narrative, because I realized the reason I left school was blank. But I was holding on to that for so long. Okay, very cool. So they can be narratives if we're unaware of them. And then they're also the things that lead to those narratives, all the things that we don't think about. They're kind of in the background, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, just think about um, somebody that you know behaves in a certain way and they could be needy. They could be a martyr. They could have this opinionated way of being. They could be permissive. All these things are blind spots. Do they know that's how they're behaving? Now, turn that around. Could that be you? Are you behaving that way and you don't even know you're behaving that way? Right. Because other people see it so much more clearly than you see it yourself. You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. It's like, it's like looking in that rear view mirror when you're driving. It's really clear that they're going to come and hit you. Yeah. So I would think that there might be some commonalities in types of blind spots that show up in certain types of people like personality traits or whatever. So for example, this is a podcast for lawyers. Lawyers tend to be high achievers, right? Mm -hmm. And I can probably start like as a coach of, of lawyers, there are certain things that I see a lot over and over and over again as traits in, in lawyers that do tend to hold them back that I think would be blind spots. Is that, do you think that is the case? That's a good generalization. Um, there is a certain type of a character that ends up being a lawyer for sure. <laughs> and no, it's great. I think, you know, we need lawyers. We need some really good lawyers. We need some vulnerable lawyers and we need some open lawyers. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's a, a space for everybody and everything out there. But trying to generalize that is very difficult because, first of all, why did you become a lawyer is where I'd go, go to. Mm -hmm. Most of us, and I'm not talking about lawyers here, but most of us, when we're growing up, you know, we said, 
somebody asks us, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a doctor. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this, I'm going to be a doctor from grade four, which she had no idea what a doctor was. And then you get to grade 10, grade 11. And all of a sudden, parents go, okay, yeah, that's right. You want to be a doctor. So why don't we send you to the doctor's med school? And you go to med school and you become a doctor. You realize, I actually don't like being a doctor. But I've spent all this time and money. I may as well just be a doctor. Where is that blind spot? It was in grade four when you said, I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Because you just wanted to be somebody else. So why did you actually become a, a lawyer in the first place? It's the first question I'd ask. Was it pressure from parents? Was it that everybody else was doing it? Or was it actually a passion that you found? You wanted to help people and, and battle that. That's the first key of looking at blind spots. Why are you doing what you want to be? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because, and it's okay if it was a pressure by, by a parent. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with sticking with that value and moving forward? If you're not, let's talk about that because you're not comfortable in your own skin at that point. Ah, okay. And that's what ends up happening. And I work with a lot of executives. I'm working with a lot of lawyers right now where the narrative is that, where they came from a family of law. They came from a family of professionals. And they're just doing the motions of being a lawyer. And when you're just doing a motion of being a lawyer or being a professional of any sort, you're not totally committed to the process. Right. And now, you, now you're protecting an inner feeling and that's protruding out to be something else, which usually isn't nice. Oh, that's true. So I, def- I work with a lot of lawyers who are kind of in a similar space, but usually not, they didn't become a lawyer because they felt obligated to or because there was a family history. They became a lawyer because they really wanted to serve and they had these higher kind of ideals and purpose. However... They got caught up on the typical path of the lawyer and completely lost sight of it. <laughs> and so yeah. I helped them reconnect with that and kind of like let go of all the other expectations and just go with what, you know, they wanted in the first place. Um, I'd actually be curious to know, and I know I didn't have this as a question for you, but how do you, you know, what do your clients typically do about it if they didn't even want to be a lawyer? on their own in the first place. I guess some of them might continue. Some of them might decide to do something different. I don't know. <laughs> I would say most of them are still lawyers. They're, okay. just not, they're just not in the same practice or doing the same field. What we've okay. worked on is, you know, they've spent all this time and money. They actually enjoy it now, but they're not passionate about it. So let's find out what you're passionate about and how do you take your expertise into that passion? Awesome. For example, okay. sustainability. I've got this huge thing about sustainability. Great. Let's, ha- let's see how we can become a lawyer in the sustainability field. Now you bring your passion and purpose into what you're actually doing. And now you're thriving to go into work every morning. And you're loving it. As long as your entire team is cohesive to that. Mm-hmm. And you're not working for a big firm where sustainability is a small little piece of it. And nobody else believes in that. It's all on you. Now you're working in a little silo and that's very, becomes very difficult to work through that. So I've actually migrated some of my customers 
from some of my lawyer clients from the big firm to a boutique firm where they're actually happier because now they actually get to live the passion and they get the support of everybody else. Not saying you have to, but you just may have to make that change to make sure your internal narrative is good for you. Awesome. Or the way we met was through a mutual friend who yes. I think you helped her leave a smaller boutique firm and start her own. So. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And again, it's all based on what is important to you as a person and what drives you, what is passionate about you. But there's a lot of blind spots in the way to find all those things out. And we have to right. go through an entire, it's a self-awareness journey. And mm -hmm. I, okay, and I said, let's not generalize, but I am going to generalize here. Uh, most of the lawyer clients that I have, the emotional intelligence and self-awareness is at the lower <laughs> bottom of the pile. I hope I didn't offend anybody, but that's kind of where they're at. I, I know a fair share of lawyers that way, yes. <laughs> right. And so and I love that because now, you know, it's a challenge for me. I get to work with people that want that emotional intelligence out there. They just never thought about it. And the moment we had that conversation, they open up and they brighten up and they, are, they become lively. And there's the, the thing I would love to say about that for those lawyers out there listening, going, okay, yeah, I know I'm, I'm, I'm lacking in that area. Becoming self-aware of that is obviously the first step, but just know mm -hmm. you can unlock so much potential when you learn how to tap into it because everybody has that ability. You just got to learn. I'm going to read off a quote to you. And I think this is uh, fitting right at this moment. Uh, you may have heard of this gentleman, uh, Howard Schultz. He owns a couple of Starbucks around the world. Maybe just <laughs> one at every other corner. Uh, this quote is, is very fitting here. I think the currency of leadership is transparency. You've got to be truthful. I don't think you should be vulnerable every day. But there are moments where you've got to share your soul and conscience with people and show them who you are and not be afraid of it. Mm. I'm just, right now, as I say that, I was thinking about a lawyer just cringing, saying, you want me to be vulnerable? You know, if you don't want to be vulnerable to the outside world, be vulnerable to yourself at least. Mm. And look inside and see where you're struggling and what is it that we need to do to make you alive again? Yes. I'm going to have to pick up on that vulner vulnerability thing in another uh, episode, I think, because I think okay. lawyers really are scared of being vulnerable. Um, it's very hard for them. And, and part of it is, you know, people look up to us and want us to have all the answers, right? And mm -hmm. we then take on this kind of demeanor that, that makes us feel that we can't be vulnerable. And honestly, I think a lot of people who are drawn to be lawyers are just naturally that way as well. Um, I know I was. I'm the oldest of five. I was the go-to. Everybody came to for the support, the advice, the everything. And I thought of vulnerability as a complete weakness for a long, long time. And then when I got cancer, <laughs> it was really hard <laughs> because all of a sudden I was vulnerable. There was no getting away, away from that. And I had to learn how to lean into that and allow myself to be vulnerable. And it was an interesting kind of experience for me and a really hard lesson um, to learn that even if you don't want to admit you're vulnerable, you are. And it's kind of, it's, it's a really nice thing to just like let go of that pretending I'm not vulnerable because then you don't realize you're placing all these burdens on you um, mm -hmm. when you do. So... 
Heather, and I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing your journey with cancer. Um, I'm going to challenge you just a bit on that. I don't think it was a cancer that made you vulnerable. You were already vulnerable. It was just sheltered. No, I agree. It was the yeah. cancer that made me realize yeah. the vulnerability yeah. and forced me to embrace the fact that, okay, I am vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's and huge. So, yeah. And I, I hope not everybody has to go through cancer to become vulnerable. I don't think you need to do that. I agree. Yet right. so many people refuse yeah. to mm -hmm. accept it until they're forced into it. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at the other way as well, there's a lot of people, a situation like that does happen and they still don't change. They still don't look inside and say, True. okay, I just have a life-threatening disease come at me and I've been given a second chance, but I'll go back to my old ways. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest blind spot at that point? What are you trying to prove? There's a scarcity mindset. What is it that's in the way? Yes. And that is actually, so when I asked you, are there certain like common blind spots that you see? It's probably scarcity mindset is one of the more common I see in lawyers in general. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I know we're, it's a generalization. Not all lawyers have a scarcity mindset, but so many do. So, and I think because it's easier to understand what we're talking about if we get more specific about something, why don't we go there since yeah. we brought it up and I see it so often. So, you know, how does the scarcity mindset, for example, tend to show up? Like, how would somebody realize that, okay, I have this? Well, it's interesting from an outside perspective. Anytime I, I, I hear the word lawyer and you got to go see a lawyer, it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm concise and clear because every second I speak to the lawyer, I'm going to get billed for. <laughs> okay. Now that's from the outside perspective. Now I wonder if the lawyers actually feel that way as well, which they probably don't, but scarcity mindset, you know, um, we all have it in a certain way. And scarcity isn't just about money. It's about love. It's about time. What if, um, but let's just go with something to, that we can relate to, which is money. It could have been when you were a young teenager and you were given an allowance by your parents. They said, look, here's a couple of bucks for your allowance. And you take that $2 and go to 7-Eleven and buy gum. And you come home and your mom or dad go, what did you do? Well, I went about gum with that $2. You went about gum with that, all that money? And all of a sudden, scarcity mindset kicked in. Mm. And there was no harm by your parents. It was just trying to show you saving, right? Because we were all grow, growing up as save every single dollar. Nothing wrong with that. But how do you behave with that? Do you behave in every action that you take about saving enough money? Or do you live your life to the fullest? Are you afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow so you just create that bank balance? And when I say bank balance, it's not just money. Are you afraid of something going wrong tomorrow and you're living your life to the most today? Or are you not? Um, if we think about what happened to us 18 months ago, <laughs> COVID hit us. We had no clue how to behave, or how to react to that. It just hit us. Interesting enough, I've picked up the most amount of clients in the last 18 months for self-awareness mm. because they're going through an emotional journey. Yeah of what does it look like? What is happening here? Things have changed, what's important to me? And all of a sudden money wasn't the first thing that came to mind. 
It was their own personal happiness at that. So scarcity mindset is by a lot of people. We all live it. We all have it. I still have it. I have to check in every now and then. Like, look, like you've got enough, enough love, enough people in your life, enough money. You don't need more. Mm-hmm. Let's enjoy it. And that's a check-in. I do that. You know, anytime happens, I have a little routine for myself. Okay, I'm good. 20 seconds later, I, I put that aside and move on. Mm-hmm. But we always have that. Am I going to have enough clients tomorrow? I don't know. Yes. Do I need that extra client? Do I need to say yes to everybody? Now, that's interesting. Do I need to say yes to everybody? Because I think a lot of lawyers, at least lawyers that I work with, and many that I mentored went back when I was working full-time as a lawyer, constantly feel that if they don't say yes to every single request immediately, jump at the snap of a finger, but somehow they're going to lose out and everybody is going to leave them and they're never going to have business. It's like this, it goes into this crazy overdrive, right? That ends up with them, you know, homeless and destitute, which is not realistic and they know it, but yet that's really what's driving them a lot of times. Yeah. And so they end up with zero boundaries with clients, colleagues, firms, et cetera. How else might like some of these blind spots really hurt people? Like, I think it's interesting to know what they are, but why is it so important to discover what they are? It's pretty simple. If you want to be happy in life, you got to look for your own blind spots. It's, it's, it, it, I hate simplifying it, mm-hmm. but we're in an internal battle with ourselves, not having enough. We're not good enough. We have all these limiting beliefs. I need to prove myself out there. That partner is doing better than I am. That firm is doing better than I am. What about this? What about that? Forget about all of that for just for a moment and look at yourself when you wake up in the morning. How content are you with you yourself? Or is it that we need that BMW and that Mercedes and the big house on the corner and with a big yard and I need to show this off instead and I need to be working at the large firm in the corner office in Dallas downtown? Like, what is it that's driving you? And is what's driving you even making you happy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually had a client call recently where she said she knew it was time to hire me when she kept buying stuff to t- make herself feel better and it didn't make her feel better like she goes to get the handbags and the shoes and that you know and, and it, she's like it's not helping and i'm like well you know because that's not your problem <laughs> yeah. we are so good at deflecting our own internal feelings by eating and shopping and looking at the next thing and going on a trip you know there's all these little external factors we look at We don't look at our internal factors. And interesting enough, your friends and your loved ones see that in you right off the bat. And most likely you haven't created the space for them to share with you. Mm. So you asked a question a little while ago, but what is a blind spot? I'm going to give a quick tip on how to find your blind spot. Just ask your loved ones and and create the space. Hey, how do I show up to you? Because I remember I asked that question to some colleagues and they said, are you sure you want to know the answer? I said, yeah, I really want to know. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, when you walk into a room, you look like a pompous blank. Mm. And I, I was taken aback. I go, okay, I need to sit back and just take this in. And then they go, well, hang on a second. Only until you speak. And when you speak, you're warm, caring, and gentle. I go, so what makes me pompous? They go, well, when you walk into a room, you're stone-faced, you don't smile, and you're all dressed up, and you're just looking around. Now, my habit is 
I need to be comfortable where I'm walking into. So I'm just checking out the space. But I didn't realize I don't smile. That little bit of a smile makes a big difference. So when I was told that, the next time I walked into a networking event, I just smiled and did exactly the same thing. And all of a sudden, people started coming to me. I didn't look pompous. But I never saw that. Others always did. It's interesting that you bring that specific scenario up because I used to be considered somewhat similar. Um, and I don't, I've actually never been comfortable in large group situations, mm -hmm. very good in small groups, but not so comfortable in large groups. And so if I was ever in a larger group situation, I would always hold, stay back and kind of watch people and then slowly pick an area where I could like get into a smaller group, right? And then somebody once told me that I really came across not so well that way. <laughs> and I had to really learn for it. It was a hard thing to, to listen and hear. And um, it's interesting because I never asked for that feedback, but she gave it to me. And it was really, really hard to hear, but really, really helpful. Because then I could do something with that information, right? And choose or not choose to change, you know, how I approached people. But similar. Yeah. So if we go back into, the, we talked about scarcity minds, we talked about limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. we talked about how to find blind spots. Look, as, as I've worked with clients, it takes two, three sessions to really get engaged and find out what the blind spots are. Okay. We released an assessment last year that will help people find their blind spots. If you really want an emotional journey for yourself, just take the assessment. Nobody else needs to know. A mm. piece of paper is going to talk to you. There's no vulnerability required. Just read the paper. Because honestly, um, it highlights some key blind spots based on just 14 quick questions. And we're actually giving this away at no charge. So I want to be able to share that with you. One of the things I know you and I talked about was how did I get into this whole journey of blind spots? Yes. When I immigrated to Canada when I was 10 years old, uh, my teacher had asked me to get in front of the class and share my immigration story. Uh, English wasn't my first language at that point. And I got up in front of the class and I started speaking and a few kids started laughing. And one kid actually yelled, go back to where you came from. And another kid yelled, go back to where you came from. And then more kids started laughing. The I looked at the teacher and the teacher just shrugged his shoulders, didn't know what to do. Because he had never experienced this. So I sat down back in my chair and started crying. The life of Licky, of not belonging, not being good enough. The life of Licky with a stutter started that moment. That was in grade four. Grade seven, grade eight, I had challenges in school. Uh, got bullied. Not because I deserved to be bullied. Because... Licky wasn't good enough. So I portrayed Licky wasn't good enough. Licky showed weakness. If you show weakness, you get bullied. And then grade 10, grade 11 hit, and I just wasn't doing well in school. Um, so I dropped out. I just couldn't learn. I dropped out of high school in grade 11. And I started, <laughs> I think this is my eighth stint at a business, and they've all been successful. So dropping out of high school doesn't relate to not being successful. There's different measures of success. I impacted thousands of people's lives in those eight businesses. 
but I still didn't think I was good enough. Licky's life of a stutter, Licky not being good enough was still present. I was trying to prove myself every single step of the way. I didn't trust people every step of the step of the way. I didn't trust my kids every step of the way. I didn't trust my wife every step of the way because I wasn't trusted because somebody said, go back to where you came from. There was a limiting belief. I held on to that one moment for 35 long years mm. until I went to a workshop in Orlando with my good friend, Bob Berg, the author of the book, The Go-Giver. And he did an exercise with me the last day with everybody actually. And he asked me to stand up and he acknowledged me for the person that I am. And it felt nice to hear those words. And Kathy, his partner, says, does the same thing. The third person, the fourth person. And by the fifth person, I'm in tears. <laughs> and Bob's going, what's going on, Mickey? I go, I've never heard these words before. And he looks at me and goes, hmm, I wonder if you've never listened to these words before. Mm. So I invite you to listen to these words till the end. Six more people went and I felt the sense of relief and calmness come through me because I actually heard the words for the first time ever. I get on a flight that day back to, from Orlando to Dallas and I'm talking to a passenger next to me. For two hours, I realized at the end, it was without a stutter. Wow. So now I get out of, D, of DFW airport, I'm walking and talking to strangers and testing whether I have a stutter or not and I didn't have a stutter. <laughs> I kind of look like a crazy man. Then I get home and I tell my wife this and she just laughs. She goes, great. It took 10 strangers to tell you what I've been trying to tell you for years. <laughs> and your friends and family have been trying to tell you for years. I wasn't ready for listening because I had this barrier and shell that Licky isn't good enough. He doesn't deserve anything better. And the moment I heard the words, the stutter goes away. And now I get a chance to speak with people like yourselves and the world about my experiences and hopefully transform their lives and getting rid of what they're holding on to so they can be the better, best version of themselves mm -hmm. by finding their own blind spots. So obviously self-awareness is key, but you gotta be open fully yeah. listening and integrating that self-awareness so that you can change that narrative, change that blind spot, change it, the whole thing. Yeah. Heather, the, the, the first easiest question you can ask yourself is, when I wake up in the morning, am I happy? Not with the external factors, am I happy? And if you're not happy, you know what? That's a great start. Yeah. That's a great start of being self-awareness. External stuff, y'all, does not is not what makes you happy. You choose whether you're happy or not. You you and and it's based on a lot of different factors. But if you you're not happy, it's really up to you to figure out how to make yourself happy and nobody else can do it for you. <laughs> it's it, that's so important. And it's really sad. I think when we all meet these people, right. Who constantly look for external things to make them happy and they never get there. They might think they are for a short period of time, but then that doesn't fully work. And then they move on and they continually are on a search and they never look in. Because looking inward is, is that vulner, vulnerability and it's hard. <laughs> it is. It is. And, but just ask a simple question. Am I happy? If I'm not happy, great. You know what? Let's be self-aware and start looking at why am I not happy? Yeah. And have that conversation. Nobody else needs to know this. No, no. And I would say um, when it comes to your assessment, so I did take it you, yes. you when we first hooked up um, and even though I'm a coach and 
even though it wasn't a complete, none of it was a complete shock to me. There were some things in there that became more obvious because I took it, right? Mm -hmm. That were really helpful to me. So, and, and that's coming from somebody who's been trained as a coach now, who's on the lookout for that a lot more than the average person. So if you are in this space where you're not happy and you don't know why, and you're trying to figure things out, highly recommend. And I will be sure to put a link to Licky's website where you will find how to sign up for the assessment on in the show notes so that you can get to it because it, it really was helpful for me. And I know it can be helpful for all of you out there as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, You're you know, um, our, our mutual client, you think about the transition that she's made over the mm -hmm. years, over the last year, actually. Um, and that's what drives me to do what I keep on doing is seeing yeah. that transformation for people. Becoming happy, being comfortable in their own skin and just being content with life. Yes. But it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. I'm on my journey every day. That's why I say it's a choice. Cause you have to, you have to wake up and choose every day. And I learned that you can even be happy when life sucks. Like the, really you can in, in a way it, it, it doesn't mean you're happy with your circumstances. It doesn't mean you're happy that life sucks right then, but there are ways to still find enjoyment in the smaller things to laugh in the hard moments to, you know, to sit there and say, you know what, right now kind of sucks. And that's not all me like coronavirus, right? like a death in the family, like a cancer diagnosis, like all these things that we deal with throughout life, you can still find some contentment in those moments. And to me, that's what happiness really is. Um, it's not always about being cheerful, happy, haha, -ha, you know. <laughs> so. No, it's being content and, and you know, I, if you start thinking about your internal core values, internal clock, mm -hmm. if you're aligned with that, everything external won't matter. Whatever happens will happen. Like when coronavirus hit, boy, I was shocked because I never thought conferences would ever get canceled. I never thought I wouldn't be traveling because that's what I do. I travel and I speak at conferences and I, and I do executive coaching with people around North America. I never thought that would stop. All of a sudden, in one day, it all stopped. It took me a day, okay, maybe two days, <laughs> to really realize <laughs> that it's okay it'll work itself out because there are different ways of fulfilling that. Because mm -hmm. I get a high, I get a real high talking to people and helping them transform. Yeah. And what was happening to me was that's going away. But that's when I also realized my high comes from helping others. I need to help myself first. Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. then the others will come out. Even, this is last year. Remember that. I've been doing the self-awareness journey for the last eight years. I'm still on that. I was, I was blindsided by my happiness came from helping others transform. And I had to put that aside because I had no choice. What are you putting aside? People that are listening, what are you putting aside right now and not looking deep inside yourselves? And I think this gets to a deeper, um, I recently, actually the day that we're recording this, I released an, an issue on self-care and self-care is a big issue in lawyers. We don't take good care of ourselves at all. And we think that we're supposed to put our clients first, our firms first, all these other people first, our families first, our kids first. Where do we come into play? This is part of self-care, if you ask me. Understanding who you are, what you really want out of life and 
understanding how to serve that is part of self-care. It's, it's part of your emotional, mental, spiritual well-being. And so it goes deeper than you think. Self-care isn't just about, you know, bubble baths and going to the spa and exercise. <laughs> it's, more That's a good start. That. That's a good start. <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that, though. Yeah, there so. is. Uh, but Heather, I want to, you know, just concisely say this. How do you show up to others? And are you comfortable to find out how you show up to others? Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. And, or do you even care? If you don't care, then that's fine too. But I will challenge you on that though. Because if you don't care how you show up to others, there's a bigger journey we need to be looking at. Yeah. So. Although, are there people who don't care who actually reach out to you? In a roundabout way, uh, they do. Interesting. Um, they will attend a workshop or a seminar where I'm speaking and they'll get a little tidbit and sing, hmm, that's kind of me. That's who he's talking about me. And then mm-hmm. they'll ask for more information and I'll see they'll download our assessment. I'll see that they download my book or buy the book. So they are concerned. I haven't seen a single person. I haven't met a single person that shows up that's not happy with themselves, that doesn't want some help. Right. They just don't know that's available and they're afraid of how they're going to look. Look, my job is not to share anything with anybody. You think about lawyers, they have this uh, non-disclosure, right? They have to be, and so do we. And the people that I work with, they, um, they're incredible human beings. They are the most incredible human beings. There's just this big shelter around them. We just need to peel that out so that they become and they get to see who they are themselves. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Peel. It's kind of like peeling the layers of an onion back so you can fully see everything, you know? And that is what a lot of what coaching does for people, regardless if you're, as long as you're working with a good coach, that's, that's mm-hmm. the whole point of it, y'all. <laughs> so. Take the step. Just take the step and talk to somebody. Yes. Find out where you're at. Um, if it's not me, talk to somebody else. Talk to your colleague. Talk to your loved ones. Yeah. And ask that question. And be fully open to listening to what they have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough one because, you know, um, as, as a lawyer, I, I'm going to recommend you don't rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just accept what they're saying and you can ask clarifying questions am i speaking legal language now you can ask a clarifying question but you can rebuttal and just think a little bit more on that there's another quote i want to share with you heather right now this is uh, by um, thomas cooley i'm not who you think i am i'm not who i think i am i am who i think you think i am we become the people that we think others think we are. Yeah. Let's start becoming the people who we are. And that attracts incredible people around you. That attracts incredible clients around you. And you show up happy. Absolutely. Well, I actually think that's a good place to end on. Yeah, I love that. So thank you so much for coming today. I think people are going to have... this is a really meaty discussion that is going to surprise some of them. Thankfully, I hope so. 
mm-hmm. uh, is going to push some of them and really challenge them. And I think it's important. So if any of you out there feel that way, definitely number one, go get the assessment. That's a great first step. And reach out to Licky or me or another coach if you want to start working through these types of things. Because could you do it on your own? Probably. But maybe not. It's, it's a little messier. And I do think getting help is one of those things that um, it makes things go a little bit faster. But it also is a blind spot that I think a lot of us have that we think we don't need help when clearly we do. And there is no shame in getting help from anybody. That's actually something I learned when I had cancer. I realized, and this is what actually enabled me to fully lean into my vulnerability and accept the help that people were offering. I realized that, okay, everybody has their own unique gifts and skills and strengths, right? We're all put here with those. None of them are the same. We're all really different. We do not allow other people to utilize those fully unless we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and receive the help that we're meant to get from them. And so that's how I kind of look at it now when I need help from a coach or anyone else, friends, family members, is I'm allowing them to really shine and to use the gifts they've been given the way they're supposed to. And there's something about you really connect with people deeply when you do that. So just wanted to put that in because I think that's a really important way. And I think it, it makes it easier to do also. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so. That's for, and I appreciate that. I think uh, this is a conversation that needs to be heard more and more. Mm-hmm. And um, the times are changing. You know, we're, we don't know what the next few months are going to look like. Uh, we thought we were over this, but there's a lot more self-reflection happening. Uh, we're spending a lot more time at home. It's a lot more time mm-hmm. with our loved ones and a lot more time just making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And this is a great opportunity to start that right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to have this conversation today. You're welcome, Heather. It's my pleasure, as always. Okay, so a quick wrap-up here. I hope you got a lot out of it. I certainly did. We talked about a couple of things here that I think are important to highlight. Number one, Core values are incredibly important to your happiness. I don't think we quite said it that way, but it came up specifically, and it was kind of in the tertiary. Every time we talked about happiness, every time we talked about how to choose to be happy, you must understand your core values and align with them to be able to fully choose to be happy, okay? So core values are key. And we've covered core values quite a bit in this podcast. I would probably go back to the first one where we really talked about them, which I think was episode number seven, around what to do when you feel stuck in your career. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, and I will have a link to it in the show notes. Another thing that we talked about today was vulnerability, that doing this work, making sure you're happy, choosing to be happy. Uncovering those blind spots, which is necessary to be happy, requires vulnerability and not to be scared of it, not to be, not to shy away from it. We don't like feeling that way, but it's really not all that bad. (laughs) I'm here to tell you as somebody who's been in that space a lot. So if that is you, if you are in a space where you're like, you know what, I feel like I do need to make a change but I'm really uncomfortable with it and I'm just not sure I'm ready. Go back and listen to the episode on how to deal with those vulnerable feelings and emotions because there are, that means you're already starting to feel that 
and you're trying to shy away from them, don't do that. Go back, listen to that episode. I will also have a link to it in the show notes. I cannot remember the number off the top of my head, but there was definitely an episode recently where we talked about how to deal with this and how to face it and how to like be okay with it. Start there and then reach out for help, okay? And both Licky and I talked about the need for help. Go get the help, whether it's with me, whether it's with him, whether it's somebody else. Get the help. You deserve to be happy. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who faced death's door, the things you regret when you think you're dying or when you are towards the end of your life aren't the things we worry about, aren't what all these other people might say or, you know, it's all the things we didn't face, all the things we allowed fear and those vulnerable feelings to keep us back. You deserve to live a happy life. You only get one. Make sure you're living it, okay? Thirdly, and final, final thing here, self-care. This really is a self-care issue because self-care isn't just about taking care of yourself in the physical sense. It's about taking care of you emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. And that includes doing the things that are hard, that are messy, to ensure that you can choose your own happiness, whatever that may mean. And I would encourage you, if you are thinking, well, I'm not sure I understand how to be that you know, person who embraces self-care in that way or how to rethink or how to, how to think about self-care in that way, I invite you to join my Get Re-Energized Self-Care Challenge. It is mostly about the mental, psychological, and spiritual self-care. It will kind of help start shifting your mentality around it and give you new ways of how to A, do it, and B, prioritize it. I will have a link to that in my show notes as well. It's called the Get Re-Energized Self-Care Challenge. It is just a seven-day challenge, and I think it can really help you. So that is another great first or second step that I would highly recommend for you. Okay, so this was such an important conversation that I wholeheartedly request of you to please consider sharing today's episode with one, two, three people, somebody that you know could really hear it. Just share it with them and let them know that they really should listen to this. You would be doing them and me a big favor to get the podcast out, but them an even bigger favor. And if you have not given a the podcast a rating or review, I also request that you go take a moment and do that as well. They tell me it helps with the algorithm to get it found. And I'd also just love to hear what you think. Okay, that is it for this week. Bye for now. Are you tired of just barely squeezing the personal into your life while thinking there's got to be more to success and life than this? If that's you, I want you to know that you can have both balance and success at the same time as a lawyer. And it's not as hard as you might think. If this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it now, book a call with me to see how coaching can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call. You only get one life, so be sure not to put you off forever. 
thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com. 